to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, Pastor Dr. Jay Fireball brings us the third message of the series, Gospel Driven Church, entitled, Gospel Formed Community. You can find the sermon outline for this message at enewlife.com. We are in a four-week series about uh, what our church is all about. We're talking about our ministry DNA, our vision, our mission, our core values. Uh, We're dealing with all of that. I I like to kind of illustrate it this way. You know, if uh, when we finish uh, today, uh, you wanted to go home and you needed to call a taxi cab for that purpose, and they picked you up out here um, outside the doors in our parking lot, And then as they started to take you home, you noticed a few things. You noticed uh, that maybe they weren't going the direction on 270 that you think they ought to go to get you towards your house, or they pull off and start going down some side streets that are unfamiliar to you or that you wouldn't necessarily think would be the best side streets to take you home, or uh, all of that's going on, you would probably experience some emotions, wouldn't you? You might experience fear. Uh, You might experience anger because you think they're kind of running the bill up on you, or you might experience confusion. All of those kinds of things would be very natural in that situation. Well, change the situation, and uh, let's say you decide to become part of a church, and after a while you notice that uh, things at the church aren't going in the directions that you think the church ought to be going that uh, some of the decisions that are made or some of the focuses aren't the focuses that you think, uh, you know, ought to be the case or what all of that starts to go on and so forth, you're probably going to experience some emotions, aren't you? Uh, Some might be fear or anger or confusion, kind of the same emotions, right? And so I've just learned that just as a general principle, it's a good thing to know where the cab's going before you get in it, Right? And uh, that's true with churches, too. It's really important. So whether you're just kind of checking new life out here this morning, or uh, maybe you have been here a long time, you're going to find yourself questioning or getting angry or being afraid, all of those kind of things, if you don't get what we're about, where we're going, the directions, that kind of stuff. And so that's what we're kind of spending our time on uh, these few weeks. Uh, If you haven't pulled out your message notes, also in your worship folder, be sure to do that. And you'll notice this diagram right at the top that kind of gives you the overall visual picture of who we are. And the first thing you should notice is that the gospel is at the center. That's central to everything that we do and believe around here is the reality of the gospel. Gospel just means good news. And the reason why it's good news is that it overcomes the bad news. The bad news is that contrary to what you might think, you are not basically a good person who's bound for heaven when you die. What the Bible teaches is that the wrath of God is on you and on me because God is holy and we are not. What we deserve and what we are bound for is hell. But the good news is that Jesus died on the cross 
to provide a way to rescue us from that wrath. And if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus, his death on the cross as the payment for your sin, then you can be rescued from that wrath and instead have the reality of eternity in heaven with him. That's good news, isn't it? We believe that good news, that gospel, but we also believe that the gospel doesn't end just when you get saved. That the gospel is both for non-Christians and Christians. And so when you truly begin to grasp the gospel, you understand that it's all about Jesus and none about me. And that reality impacts everything else about what it means to be and to live as a Christ follower. And it impacts everything about what we believe and do as a church. And so the gospel at the center will kind of fall out or show itself, we think, in three major areas. Last week, Pastor Brian talked to us about the aspect of identity, of knowing who you are in Christ. You see, it's all about Jesus and none about me, right? That I am important, that I am of value, that I am significant, not on the basis of my performance, but on the basis of who I am in Christ. It's our identity. Pastor Brian mentioned this last week, but I'll give another plug for it. One of the places where we really dig deeper in that is on our encounter weekends, something that we do around here regularly. And we have a men's encounter coming up in March and a women's encounter coming up in April. Those are the only ones we're going to do in 2016. And so if this is an area where you would benefit from going deeper in your grasp of who you are in Christ, pick up one of those information sheets out in the lobby or go online and search out that information regarding our upcoming encounters and Take advantage in going deeper in that area. But one of the places where the gospel uh, plays out in all of our lives is this aspect of identity. Another area that it plugs into is next week, Alan's going to talk to us about mission. The gospel flows out into mission. That gospel-soaked believers can't just sit on their rear ends comfortably praising God while we wait for Jesus to come. Doesn't work that way when the gospel starts to get a hold of us. It rolls itself out in our lives into being a part of mission, of serving, of advancing his kingdom, all of those aspects. We'll talk about that next week. But today we want to talk about this other aspect, which is the gospel also rolls itself out in the aspect of gospel-formed community. And I think there's a couple of key aspects to understanding that, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number one is that grasping the gospel propels us to be part of community. As the gospel is beginning to get a hold of us, as it's, as it's going deeper inside of us, it will propel us towards community. But also with that point too is that being part of true gospel community is what helps form the gospel inside of us. See, it's kind of circular. The gospel getting a hold of us propels us towards community. And then as we are a part of true community, that's what will help form the gospel inside of us so that it propels us towards community. 
so that as we are a part of that true community, it will help the gospel form more and more inside of us. You see that whole circular aspect. So that's what we're going to deal with this morning. Okay? You ready? All right. Point number one is this then. Grasping the gospel propels us to be part of community. You see, if I'm not careful, I can start to think that this Jesus thing, this gospel thing, this salvation thing is primarily about me. You know, me getting saved, me living like a Christian, me going to heaven when I die. In fact, even what Brian talked about last week and that whole aspect of identity, if we're not careful, we start to think that's about me, who I am in Christ and how uh, I view myself and how God has given me this new identity. I mean, we become like guys warming up for a concert, right? Me, 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 right? <laughs> but when you read the New Testament, you don't see a bunch of individuals running around isolating themselves. You don't see them saying, hey, I'm saved. Now I'm just going to go back to my home and just saturate myself in this reality of being made right with God. That's not what you see. You don't see a bunch of people you know, taking this new identity in Christ just so that they can live their own self-focused, isolated life where everything's primarily about them. You don't see a bunch of people making their decisions just in the context of, hey, it's just me and God. I don't need anybody. That's not what you see. But instead, we need to grasp this key truth, and it's this, that the gospel of Christ has the power to transform our relationships within the church, how we see and relate to others in our spiritual family. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6 says this, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling, and God sets the lonely in families. That once you come to know Christ as your Savior, you have a spiritual family. And your church family is an important part in living out a gospel-shaped life. Now, to understand that, you kind of have to understand the spectrum. So, over here on this side would be one end of the spectrum, and that's what I would call isolation. That's this, this way of thinking that says, hey, faith is just this personal thing. You know, that I know Jesus as my personal Savior, and so it's just God and me. I don't, I don't need anybody else for decision-making. I don't need anybody else to be a part of my life. It's just a God and me kind of thing. Isolation. You know, the, the, the church I grew up in was a good church, taught the Bible, taught me about Jesus. But the way I would have described my church that I grew up in was that everybody there was just sort of nice to each other. But we didn't have a value for community. What would happen is we were all just sort of working on our personal relationship with God we just would come together all at the same time in the same place to do it, see? I, we didn't really need each other because it was just a me and God thing. It was this isolation aspect. But Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47 says this about that early New Testament church. 
It says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They, they met in large gatherings, kind of like what we're doing this weekend. Those are great for worshiping. Those are great for our teaching. But they also met in their homes, in smaller groups, which is great for knowing each other and praying for each other and being involved in each other's lives. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, he says, and let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We need each other. How do, how do we help each other? How do we spur one another on? Verse 25, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible talks about two types of meetings. There's the meetings of the large group, and there's the meetings of smaller groups in our home. So that's what we do around here. And so in contrast to this side of the spectrum of isolation, we think that the focus should be towards this end of the spectrum, which is gospel-formed, gospel-shaped community of needing one another, of truly being involved in the lives of each other. And the environment that we use for that around here is small groups. Now, please understand, just joining a small group or even being a part of a small group doesn't mean you'll truly experience gospel community any more than standing out in your garage makes you a car, right? But it is the environment where you will best have the opportunity to work together to create gospel-formed community. And so my challenge to all of us is let the reality of the gospel that is, in work, that is at work in us, let it propel us away from self-focused isolation and towards being intimately connected with others in true gospel community. Why? Because, point number two, it's being part of true gospel community that helps form the gospel inside of us. You see, you can't be a self-focused, gospel-saturated Christian, can you? That if it's all about Jesus all of the time, it can't be about me any of the time, right? That if it's Jesus front and center, that what all of us have to do is continually work to wrestle ourselves and our idols off of the front throne of our lives so that Jesus can occupy that space instead of us, right? Well, how do you do that? You do that by working towards shaping Christ-like, Christ-honoring, kingdom-minded attitudes inside of us, and that happens in community. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Until being like Jesus is formed in us. 
These kingdom-minded, these Christ-like ways of Jesus get formed in us. Well, again, how's that happen? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The same writer, Paul, says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves. Not looking at your own interests, but each of you at the interest of others. Put other people ahead of you. You can't do that in isolation. You need other people for that to happen. Put other people ahead of yourself. Prioritize them over you. Drop down to verse 12. Paul continues and he says, So therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue then to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. That's all Jesus, not me. All Jesus, none of me. But, but we work this out. We continue to work this out, what it means to truly grasp Jesus and form Jesus in us. Well, again, how do we do that? Well, I think it helps to understand here in Philippians 2 that all the uses of the word you is not singular but plural. Now, that tells you something. That Paul wasn't saying that's something you do on your own. It's something you do where? In community. See, if you were to read this and understand it the way they would read it, if you were reading Greek, he says, therefore, my dear friends, as y'all have always obeyed, See, not just you singular, but plural. Y'all have always obeyed. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out all y'all's salvation <laughs> with fear and trembling. You see, it's family. It's true spiritual community where we work to have these Christ-like attitudes formed down deeper inside of us. So what are these attitudes that I'm talking about? Well, let's spend the rest of our time, and I'm not going to, you know, this is not the complete list, but it's enough to get you started. They're not in any particular order, but I think we would all agree these are the kind of attitudes that are like Christ. These kingdom-minded, Christ-like attitudes, they get formed in us in community. Here's the first one, is Humility. Viewing yourself and others as God does and considering others as more important, like it talks about in Philippians 2 that we just read. Well, how, how do we learn to do this? How do we learn to be humble? It's by being in close context with other people that I learn to put them and their needs ahead of my own. Because, you see, when I'm, when I'm by myself... It's so easy to think I'm humble. <laughs> but when I'm with other people, especially closely with other people, I start having thoughts like, hey, how come they're getting noticed and not me? Hey, how come their thing that they're interested in is considered more important by everybody than the thing I think is more, you, you see what I'm saying? It's when I'm with other people that this false deception of humility that I form in myself in isolation gets pointed out that I'm really just a prideful jerk. 
a lot of the times. See? That happens in the context of community. Because you see, there's no place for self-righteousness. There's no place for spiritual arrogance with gospel-soaked people, is there? Every now and then, people will come to me and ask for help, you know, in me helping them find a, a good-fitting small group. And I love that. That's one of my favorite things to do. Please do that. Come. I love to help people narrow their search to find a place that they'll just love. But every now and again, I get this kind of person who comes to me. And uh, they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, I have been a Christian for 50 years. And uh, I have studied the scriptures. And I know the deep truths of God's word. And I need a small group where people are serious about studying and knowing God's word. And um, when that happens, I think to myself, you know, the best things are the thing you think but don't say, right? Those are the best things you say. <laughs> and what I sort of think to myself is, here's a little humility tip for you. Why don't you get over your arrogant self, right? <laughs> because here's the reality. I don't care whether you have been a Christian for 50 years or 50 minutes. We've got the same responsibility, isn't it? Which is living out Christ in a world that doesn't promote him, Right? I don't care whether you memorize the book of Leviticus or you've only been a Christian long enough that you don't even know there is a book of Leviticus. <laughs> We've got the same battle in front of us, which is walking out Jesus in this world. And I think we need to learn that, that though we learn things in our small group all the time, because the Bible's central in our small groups, we study God's word and we learn things. The main point of a small group is not what you learn. It's how you help each other live, see? And that happens in community. That's where these Christ-like attitudes like humility get formed in us. Here's another one, is gratefulness. Humble people are grateful people, right? But you see, I have this problem. Somewhere along the way, I just kind of start thinking, you know, I'm pretty good. God's lucky to have me. <laughs> you know, uh, God, look, look, look at these sacrifices I'm making. God, look at these things I'm doing to serve you. I mean, and, and you know, when it comes to things, God, you really owe me something. Now, I'd never say those things out loud. You wouldn't either, but <laughs> they sort of start forming back there in your mind. And it's in community where people know and love you that they start to recognize some of this stinking thinking, you know, that's going on. And that they can say to you lovingly, Jay, get over yourself, right? Man, I think about what you just said there. See, it's in that context of community where all of, see, that doesn't happen in isolation. It's in community where I learn to think, man, it's all Jesus. That, that I, if I got what I deserved, I'd get hell. But it's all Jesus. And man, I, I have no room for anything but to be grateful to a Savior that loved enough to give his life for me, to pay for my sin. That happens in community. Those attitudes 
gets shaped in us in community. A couple more. Here's kindness and patience. Where do we learn to be kind and patient? I'll tell you. You learn in community where it's easy to be impatient and unkind, right? It's in community where you get reminded that you aren't exactly God's gift to mankind either. <laughs> See, it's in community where somebody gets on your nerves. And you have to learn to behave like Jesus instead of to behave like Jay. See, to choose to act like Jesus would instead of behaving what you feel like doing. Because again, in isolation, I get, get to thinking, man, I am just really kind and patient. But it's in community where I have to do the things to learn to be kind and patient. Couple more, openness and repentance. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That in our small groups, we don't come together to impress each other about how much we have our act together. But instead, in a small group, our arms come down and we, we start to see each other for how we really are. The good and the bad, right? You know, truthfully, I think it's this aspect that sometimes scares people away from being in a small group. And let me just say, if that's you, if you recognize that in you, then listen, that is an identity issue. You need to understand it's not about how much you have it together, it's how much Jesus has it together, see? Go back, listen to Brian's message again from last weekend. Go on an encounter weekend. Start to get that truth inside of you of who you are in Christ and let that propel you towards community, not away from community. Because you see this aspect of performance, this aspect of thinking it's all about what I do, that is the very thing that will strangle your soul. And that performance thinking will suffocate the gospel growth inside of you. So get into community and learn to live this out. Learn to breathe out of the freedom of who you are in Christ. Here's three more. I just lumped these together of acceptance and grace and forgiveness. You see, when you hear me admit my sin, you don't, you don't gasp. Oh, oh my. You don't wag your finger at me. You know why? Because you recognize you still have sin too, right? And Jesus is progressively working in both of us to help us match our behavior to our identity. And so you pray for me and I pray for you. And at times we confront each other, not out of arrogance, not out of self-righteousness, but out of love and without condemnation, but with grace and all of those things. And we're, we're quick to forgive each other. And we put up with each other, right? We put up with our faults and our flaws and our, our lack of stellar performance. Paul said in Colossians 3.13, bear with each other. In community, there's a lot of bearing with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
Steve Timmis said, sometimes churches are the last place where you'd want people to know that you are a sinner. But you see, community is what changes that. Now, let me help you. If you're not if you're not in a small group or you've not been in a small group, sometimes people think, oh, I'm going to get in a small group and we all love Jesus and so it'll just be perfect harmony all the time. And yeah, that's not how it works because there's people in there. <laughs> Community has people in it. And when that people are there, there is going to be hurts. There's going to be offenses. That's going to occur in community. And here's what you have to do. You have to learn to forgive you have to learn to get past these things when they occur. You have to learn to work through offenses that take place. See, we live in a throwaway society, don't we? A little bit of conflict occurs, what do we do? We walk away. We walk away from our small groups. We walk away from our churches. We walk away from our jobs. We walk away from our friends. We walk away from our marriages. We walk away. So let me ask you, where is it that we learn to behave like Christ in the midst of conflict? Where is it that we learn to forgive rather than to throw the relationship away? Where is it we learn to do the hard work at getting past this barrier that we have, this offense, this hurt? Where is it that we learn that? You learn it in community. That's where God does a shaping of the gospel inside of us. All right, a couple more and then I'm done. Priority and service. That what happens in true community is that you learn to prioritize each other. You learn to serve each other and to serve alongside of each other. Many of our small groups not only meet regularly, but they will semi-regularly do things to serve together. Well, why, why do we do that? It's because the natural trajectory in any of us is to make it about ourselves, right? And so we have to do things to, to serve together to remind us, no, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the advancement of his kingdom. That's what it's about. Even our small groups, if we're not careful, our small groups, this good thing, this community can all become about who? Me, what I like. If you don't believe that, mention multiplication in your group this week. <laughs> Very rarely when you start to talk about multiplication is the first thought, man, that is great. We're going to expand the kingdom. We're going to give more people a part to be you know, more people the opportunity to be a part of community. That's very rarely where we start. Where we normally start is, well, wait a second, I, I don't like that. I like us. I like things the way it is. It's, you know, because it's all about me, right? But it's in community. We kind of have to work past that and say, no, no, I, I, need to have, I need to have the gospel forming in me. I need to have, I need to have Christ's thoughts inside. See, that's where all of that happens. It's in community. See, it's in, it's in community that we learn how to minister and serve one another. You know, Alan's going to talk next week about getting involved in ministry. And there, there's tons of ministry opportunities around here. And we need you to get involved with it. You know, you need to get off the bench and get into the game. But the place where ministry starts is in your small group, serving one another. 
That's where you, you, you learn ministry. It's where you learn your spiritual gifts is in your small groups. As you're serving, you learn the way God wired you up uniquely and how he can use you to serve. That all happens in community. It's where we, we live out the one another's of the New Testament as the body of Christ to each other. That happens in the community of a small group. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh yourself, but rather serve one another humbly in love. You see, these attitudes, this Christ-likeness gets formed in us by doing it in the context of community. And so we believe that every believer has been given the responsibility to participate in gospel community. That is a core value that we hold to at New Life. And listen to me, if you, if you just come on the weekends, you know, and, and you enjoy hearing God's word taught in practical ways, and you enjoy being a part of, of, of the opportunity to, to, to worship God and lift your, your, your praise to him, I mean, that's wonderful. Keep doing that. But, but we really believe that if you're just here on the weekends, you are missing out on the environment where the gospel gets formed in you. And so at New Life, gospel community is most readily experienced through active participation in one of our small groups. It's where these attitudes of humility and gratefulness and kindness and openness and repentance and acceptance and grace and forgiveness and priority and service and all of those, it's where they get formed into our lifestyle. It's where we get into each other's lives and we, we get to know each other's kids and we sometimes get crosswise with each other and have to learn how to work it out. It's where we love each other and we serve each other and serve together and give our best efforts at living out gospel community together. You know, it's what Jesus did, right? When Jesus walked this earth, he formed a little community of 12 guys. They lived life together in community. It was the practice of the early church. And Christians down through history not only have gathered together to worship and learn of God on the Lord's day, but also during the week in homes. And so it is my strongest suggestion for you that you, if you're not a part of a New Life small group, that you take the steps to do that. And let me tell you this too, if you are a part of a New Life small group, that you don't settle for pseudo-community, that you make the sacrifices to do what it takes to get to true community with each other. You know, if you're one of those people who comes, you know, semi-frequently when everything else works out, that's not the format, that's not the formula for really being true community. If your mindset is, hey, I'm, I'm part of this small group and it's up to that small group leader to make community happen here, that's not the formula. See, it's all of us owning this to work together to see the gospel shaped in us so that true community can be there. Now, let me just give you some practical helps for those of you who aren't 
part of a New Life small group. This will be just real quick, and those of you who are part of a small group, just hold on. If you're not a part of a New Life small group, here's just some practical things for you. We have 60 groups here in Gehanna at our Whitehall campus. We have another seven groups over there. One of the ways that you can find a group that's a good fit for you is to look online. If you go to our main uh, webpage and go to click the link that says Browse Small Groups, it'll bring the groups up there for you. The Whitehall groups start with the word Whitehall. If you're a single young adult, those groups, we all start with the word catalyst. And then all the rest of our adult groups simply start with the last name of the leader or leaders of that small group. You can find out information about them. Many of the groups have pictures there. If you want to say, yeah, these, these people look like people I could probably get along with. <laughs> We've invited people to our group at times and they've looked at our picture and said, you're all too old. Look for someone that looks like you. Read the description. You can do it yourself. You can make contact with the leader that way right there online. You can do it that way. Another way you can do it is outside in our lobby here in Gehanna. Uh, between the men's restroom and the restroom, there's a whole wall with racks of cards, a card for each of our different groups. It has a picture of the leader on it. has uh, information about the group, where they meet, and different things. has the the, the telephone contact of how you can get a hold of that leader. And I can promise you this, if you call any of our small group leaders and say, hey, could, could I just come check out your group? Could I come visit it? Every one of them will say, we would love to have you. Come on, this is where we meet. This is what time we meet. You know, not all of our groups meet at the same place every time. So that's beneficial to find out where they're going to be if you're going to visit them. But they would love to have you come check them out. Today, if I, if, if I can help you today, um, I'm gonna, I'll stand out after we're done at that rack and be happy to give you some instructions. Let me tell you, some people are, are hesitant to talk to me, and I get that. It's because here's what they think. If I talk to him, he is going to pester me till the day I die. <laughs> and I promise not to do that. I'll help you as much as you want, or as little as you want. And um, when you don't want me to help you anymore, that's fine. Really and truly. So don't be afraid to talk to me. On your uh, message notes, I have put my email address and my cell phone number, okay? If you sell insurance, please do not call. <laughs> but if you want help with a small group, call me. Um, email me, and I'll be happy. Usually the way it works is I, I say, let's set up a time. I've done that with people today for next week and that kind of stuff. Let's set a time usually to sit in the cafe for 15 minutes to have a back and forth conversation that will help me kind of narrow the group search down for you to say, hey, here's a group that I think you'd really fit well in. Or here's a couple of groups you may want to try that kind of thing. Let me help you with that. I'd love to do that. So again, if I can help you with that way, take care of it. Now, let me also say this. I get the daunting thing that it is to get into a small group because here's immediately what you start thinking. You start thinking, I'm going to show up at the house of people that I don't know and there's going to be a bunch of people there that I don't know them and they don't know me. And that, that is daunting. I get that. But here's what I want to encourage you. Push past that because that is how it starts, but that's not how it's going to stay. If you keep going to that group, these people will become your friends. These people will become your connection. They will become your community, potentially. And so push past that initial fear and find the group that works, that fits for you. 
And don't settle for isolation. Determine that you're going to be a part of gospel-shaping community, okay? All right. We're going to sing a couple more worship songs here. This has been great having this group from Cedarville here with us today, hasn't it? They've done a wonderful job. It's been a great ministry, all three services. I appreciate them here. We're going we're gonna to continue to worship together. We're going to give you the opportunity to worship through your offerings. That will happen here in just a minute. I want to remind you that like we do every uh, celebration, there'll be prayer people here on, on both sides. Uh, you know, maybe there's something going on in your life, big or little, that you would just benefit from having someone pray with you and pray over you about that, then while we're worshiping, you just feel that freedom to slip out to one of these people. They would love to pray with you this morning, okay? Let's stand together. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna continue to worship, all right? Lord Jesus, again, we remind ourselves that it's all you and none us that we are who we are because of the price you paid for us. And so even now as we sing, Jesus paid it all. Lord, speak that truth deep inside of us and let that truth grab us in a way that changes our identity and changes our, our isolation into a, into a propulsion towards community, a, a, a drive towards serving you in your kingdom and so as we worship you Jesus we thank you for the price you paid on the cross for our sins and we pray this in Jesus name amen visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.